Chapters eleven and twelve of When Shadows Die by E. D. E. N. Southworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Chapter eleven. Where is Roland? Where is Roland? Oh, Mrs. Force, where is Roland? He was on the pirate ship, you know. Oh, was he wounded in the sea fight? Was he taken prisoner? Was he killed? Oh, was he killed? breathed little Rosemary Hedge pulling at the lady's dress and lifting her light blue eyes beseechingly to the lady's face. "'Let us hope that he has been rescued, my dear, and brought home in honour, since you know he was himself a captive among the pirates,' replied Elfrida Force, whose face looked quite as pale and anxious as the distressed little face turned up to hers. "'But, but, does not the pilot know? Can he not tell us? Will not someone ask him?' "'I think he has told all he knows, my dear.' Remember, the Argent was only in port a few hours this morning, after the morning papers were out, and before the afternoon papers were out, the pilot put to sea at once. He could not have got but an outline of the facts, and perhaps not even a true outline. "'Oh, Uncle Gideon,' pleaded Rosemary, leaving the side of Mrs. Force and joining the old skipper. "'Oh, Uncle Gideon, won't you please ask the pilot if he heard of any prisoner among the pirate crew, rescued from them by the Eagle?' or if he heard anything at all of Roland Bayard. "'Yes, yes, child, I will ask him,' promptly replied Captain Grandier, pushing to the front of the group, and hailing the pilot, who was elbowing his way through the questioners, who would have detained him longer. "'Ahoy, shipmate, not so fast. Answer one question, and then you may go.' "'Well, what is it?' demanded the pilot. "'Heard you of any honest prisoner rescued from the pirates?' "'No.' "'Heard you of any man of Roland Bayard?' "'No, never heard that name before. "'There were but two names talked of, "'Nickel Silver, the captain of the blockade-runner, "'and Craven Cloud, his first officer,' said the pilot, "'now breaking away and hurrying aft. "'And they'll both be hung as high as Haman, "'or my name is not Grandier, "'and I never commanded the good ship Kitty, "'and she was never taken from me with all her cargo "'by the piratical ship Argent, devil sinker. "'Blockade-runner, is it? "'No doubt in the world she was a blockade-runner, "'but she was so much worse than that, she was a pirate of the worst order, attacking and taking unarmed merchantmen, and committing Lord knows what atrocities besides. Ah, I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't stop longer in England. I'm glad I came over, so as to be able to give evidence that will hang the pirate captain and his mate. I shall take the first train to Washington after landing. I must be on hand to give my evidence as soon as possible, or those devils would be claiming to be treated as prisoners of war because they were taken while trying to run the blockade. "'Prisoners of war, indeed, after taking my peaceable kitty with her cargo and sending her crew adrift. We'll see when I get to Washington. My evidence will hang them as high as Haman. "'Don't you think a fifteen-foot gallows and a five-foot fall would be quite as effectual, Captain Grandier?' inquired Wynnette. "'What do you know about it?' demanded the skipper. "'Nothing at all. That is the very reason why I was turning the question over in my mind and asking for instructions.' "'Oh, Mr. Force, oh, Mr. Force, what has become of Roland?' pleaded Rosemary, in a low, wailing voice, as she took the squire's hand. "'I wish I could satisfy you, my dear, but I cannot. We may learn something from the evening papers when we land in New York. If we do not, we shall certainly find out when we reach Washington, where we shall meet Lee.' "'Oh, how soon shall we go to Washington?' "'By the first train after we land.' Of course, you know, we did expect to spend a few days in New York, but this news has altered all our plans, and we shall go on immediately to Washington. Tomorrow? Early tomorrow? No, tonight. 
so that we may be in the city to-morrow morning. Then, said the quaint little being, I must bear the suspense as well as I can, and trust in the Lord. And in the meantime, remember, my dear, as your uncle said, we have every reason to hope and expect that Roland is safe on board the Argent. Being already a prisoner on board the blockade-runner, he could not have been in the sea-fight, and therefore he could have been neither killed nor wounded. If taken prisoner by the eagle, among the rest, he must soon have told the story of his capture, and he must have been recognized by his friend Lee, and released and brought home in honor. Yes, said Rosemary, in her grave, demure way, I think that is very probable. And we are going to Washington to find both our lads, Lee and Roland. Oh, Lord grant it, fervently exclaimed Rosemary, clasping her tiny hands and lifting her light blue eyes. Mr. Force turned to look at his daughter Odalite. What a change had come over the pale, grave face of the girl. Her cheeks and her lips were glowing with fire. Her dark eyes were sparkling with light. What do you think of all this, my dear? he inquired. Oh, father, I feel so happy, so happy. Lee has distinguished himself. Lee is the hero of the day. Thank heaven! Oh, thank heaven! We shall see Lee in a few hours from this. See Lee safe, well, and honored. Thank heaven! Oh, thank heaven! Mr. Force looked at his wife. Her face was very pale and troubled. My dear Elfrida, he said, you let your sympathy for little Rosemary Hedge and her lover affect you without cause. I think there is no doubt the young man is now quite safe on board the Argent, on her way to the Washington Navy Yard. We shall land at New York about sunset. We shall leave our effects at the Custom House, and take the night express for the south. We shall reach Washington before the Argent gets there, but we shall wait for her, and as soon as she arrives we shall find both the boys safe, Leonidas and Roland, safe. You are very, very good, she replied in a low tone. There is the gong for dinner. I have an appetite for the first time in ten days, he said gaily, as he drew his wife's arm within his own to take her down. At all the tables in the dining saloon nothing was discussed but the war news. General Grant was slowly fighting his way on to Richmond, opposed by an army that was daily wasting away under toil, fever, and privation, but who made up for want of numbers with indomitable courage, endurance, and self-devotion. After dinner the passengers all went up on deck to watch for the first glimpse of land. Many had glasses, through which they looked long and wistfully to the westward, and then passed their instruments on from hand to hand among the less fortunate passengers, who had none of their own. Often they mistook a cloud lying low on the horizon for a line of coast. Presently someone staring through the glass cried out, Land! Nothing but a low cloud, cried another man, staring through another glass. The Highlands! cried the first speaker. And in a very few minutes, the Highlands was the verdict of all on the outlook. The progress of the ship was now very rapid. She soon passed the narrows and stopped. The quarantine officers came on board. No ship ever came into the harbor with crew and passengers in a healthier condition, Mr. Force's chronic rheumatism being the only case of indisposition on board. So the Asia was allowed to go on her way, and reached her pier a little after sunset. Mr. Force at once landed with his party, taking only such luggage as they had used during the voyage, and which could be carried in the hands of the servants. This was duly examined and passed by the custom-house officers, the bulk of their luggage to be afterward brought on by the groom of Lord Enderby, who was left in charge. There was a train for Washington at nine o'clock. It was now seven. They had time to go to a hotel and take tea. 
They had scarcely left the custom house officers before they were assailed by a swarm of newsboys crying their papers. Evening, this, that, or the other. Latest from the Perninsular. Capture of the blockade runner Argent by United States ship Eagle, etc., etc. Hi, boy, let us have a paper, called Mr. Force, as they were swarming past him to a large group of men, who were also just off the steamer, famishing for news and calling for vendors. Two or three turned back. Mr. Force and the Earl bought papers from all of them. At this moment the negro valet who had been sent for carriages came up with two. The papers were distributed to the members of the party, and they entered the carriages, the four girls in the front carriage and the four elders in the hind one, and read as they drove along. But, in fact, they learned nothing more from the papers than they had learned from the pilot, except that there were more details of the fight which ended in the capture of the privateer by the man-of-war. The word privateer always put the old skipper into a rage. Privateer, he exclaimed, they might as well call an assassin a mere sneak thief. She is a pirate of the most devilish description. She took my unarmed kitty. She seized her cargo. She sent her crew adrift in open boats in mid-ocean. And I'll hang all hands for it. I swear it. I don't think you could hang a whole ship's crew, laughed Lord Enderby. Well, may I be blowed from a cannon's mouth myself if I don't hang the head devil and his mate. That's what I'm going to Washington for, to make my charge. In good time they reached their hotel, took their tea, and sat down to rest and read the papers at their leisure before starting on their night journey. Here a little surprise met the whole party. When Mr. Force tendered a ten-dollar gold piece in payment of his bill at the counter of the office, the coin was rung suspiciously on the board, then examined critically, and finally dropped into the till. And he was handed a ten-dollar greenback and a two-dollar greenback in exchange, with the information that he would find it all right, as gold was that day at one hundred and twenty percent premium. This information so astonished the simple squire that he did not recover himself until he had reached the railway station at Jersey City. The party arrived in full time to purchase their tickets and take their seats. CHAPTER Twelve. ON TO WASHINGTON "'Everybody is happy but me. Oh, Uncle Gideon, I have looked all over, up and down, and everywhere in the papers, and I cannot see one word about Roland. Oh, Roland, Roland,' moaned little Rosemary, as she sat on the seat beside the old skipper in the crowded car. My poor little girl, such a small item as the rescue of a single prisoner from the pirate ship would scarcely be noticed in a first hurried account of the capture by the eagle. Have patience, my dear little one. In a few hours we shall hear from Lee himself whether Roland is with him. And remember, my girl, that you are going to meet your dear mother and aunt and all your near relations, whom you have not seen for so many years, and who are counting the hours until you come to them. Think of your own kindred, my child. Oh, I do, I do. And I do love my dear mother and dear aunt, dearly, dearly, but they are both safe and well, and so I am not anxious about them. But, oh, Roland, Roland, she wailed in a little low tone. Mrs. Force, who sat beside her husband immediately in front of Rosemary and her uncle, heard the little low moan, and turning to the squire, said, Abel, dear, will you change seats with little Rosemary, and let the child sit with me for a while? Certainly, replied Mr. Force and the change was effected at once. Mrs. Force put one arm around Rosemary's waist and drew her in a close embrace as she whispered, "'You must pray and hope and trust, my dear. We have no reason to fear that any evil has happened to Roland.' "'Oh, ma'am, I am praying all the time, in my heart, for Roland,' sighed the girl. 
Well, darling, when you pray, you must trust. Oh, I do try to, I do try to, but this dreadful uncertainty. Oh, just look how happy Odalite and the other girls are. But Odalite, every time she turns her head around, her face flashes. She is so delighted. Oh, I hope I am not envious, but I do wish I felt as sure of seeing Roland safe and well, as you all are of seeing Leonidas great and happy. Mrs. Force smiled, pensively, at the exaggerated words of the poor little girl, but she did not attempt to criticize them. It was now nearly ten o'clock, and in spite of excitement and anxiety, the travelers yielded to a sense of fatigue and drowsiness, ceased to talk, and began to doze. There was no sleeping car on that train, or if there was, the party had not engaged berths, so they sat in uneasy attitudes and dropped off one by one into slumber that was only disturbed by the stopping of the train at the stations, and quickly resumed when the train was again in motion. They woke up thoroughly when they reached Philadelphia, where several more cars were attached to the train, and a number of troops got on to go to Washington, en route to reinforce General Grant's army. Many of these soldiers could not find seats, though the train was a long one, and they had to stand in a line down the middle of the cars. This made the air stifling, oppressive, and stupefying. Our party dropped off into a deep, unwholesome sleep, which lasted until the train reached Baltimore, when they one and all awoke with a sense of sickness and semi-suffocation. But here people got in, and people got out, doors were opened at each end, and a draw of purifying air went through and revived the sufferers. Here still more cars were attached to the train, and more troops got on, and the crowd was even closer than before. Again our victims succumbed to the stupefying effects of the confined air, and slept heavily and unhealthily until they reached Washington. Day had dawned when the train crawled into the depot. The closely packed multitude got out, and filled all the space that was under cover. Mr. Force piloted his party through the crowd and out into the open air. "'I doubt if we can get a carriage,' said the squire, looking around. And his doubts were speedily and unpleasantly set at rest. He could not. If there had been any on the spot, they had been seized by the first travelers, who had jumped off the train to secure a ride. "'There is nothing for it but to walk to our hotel. Luckily, it is not very far off,' said Mr. Force. It was a fine morning, and dawn was reddening in the east as they left the depot and walked on toward Pennsylvania Avenue. They walked somewhat stiffly at first, from having been cramped up so long in the railway train, but the fresh air was reviving, and so they all felt more invigorated at every yard by their progress.' They reached the hotel with fine appetites for breakfast. Mr. Force found, on inquiring at the office, that the house was full. There was not a room or a bed to spare, but the house could give them breakfast. So they waited in the public parlor until the breakfast hour came, when they went down into the saloon and took their morning meal. After breakfast, Mr. Force went into the reading room to inquire about the Argent, and to look at the morning papers. The rest of his party waited for him at the foot of the stairs leading to the parlor. At last he came and said, "'The Argent has not yet reached the Navy Yard, nor has she been heard from since leaving New York yesterday morning, but she is expected to-day.' "'And what are we to do next?' inquired Mrs. Force. "'You and the girls will remain here, in the ladies' parlor, and read the newspapers, or amuse yourselves in any way you please. Captain Grandier is going to see the Secretary of the Navy, to report the capture of his clipper, the Kitty, by the Argent.' Enderby will go out with me in search of lodgings. We must find some place to sleep in this overcrowded city, and we must get out of it as soon as we can. As soon, that is, as the Argent business is settled, and Leonidas gets his leave. We shall all return here in time for dinner. 
With these words, Mr. Force opened the door of the parlor and saw the ladies of his party in. It was yet so early that the parlor was quite empty. "'I think you might venture to recline on some of these sofas and go to sleep,' said the squire, as he nodded good morning and left the room, accompanied by the earl and the skipper. When they went down, left the hotel and stood upon the sidewalk, Mr. Force looked up and down the streets in search of that line of hacks which usually stands drawn up before every large hotel, but it was not to be seen. Inquiry of the porters developed a startling fact. Nearly all the horses in Washington had a plague called epizootic. There were but few hacks in the public service now, and they were always on the go. There were but few streetcars running, because there were but few horses to draw them, and they were always overcrowded. "'Shall we walk, Enderby, or shall we stand on the reeking platform of one of these passing cars?' Mr. Force inquired. "'Oh, walk, by all means, as long as we have a leg to stand on, in preference to adding three hundred pounds more to the burden of those poor beasts,' promptly replied the Earl. "'Fortunately, all the best hotels are on or near the avenue,' observed the squire, as they turned westward. "'Now, doesn't it seem as if war were quite enough of evil without a plague among the horses, Enderby?' inquired Abel Force. "'You may thank heaven that the plague is not among the humans,' replied the earl. "'Here is the Metropolitan. We will try here,' said the squire. And they went in, but were not successful. The house was full. So hotel after hotel was tried, but all in vain. All were full. The two gentlemen walked on toward the west end of the avenue. There at length they found, in one of the largest and best hotels in the city, a suit of three rooms, two double-bedded chambers, and one single one. These were secured at once for their party of eight, and at a rather high price, too. Then they went back to the place where they had left the ladies of the party. The old skipper had already returned. Mr. Forrest reported progress, and described the best apartments he had been able to find. "'You can see there is scarcely space left for us in Washington. We must get back to Old Maryland as fast as we can,' added the squire. Captain Grandier followed suit and told of his adventures. He had not been able to see the secretary at all. Ante-room full of lovers who were seeking offices or other favors. He had to wait his turn, and before his turn came, a fellow opened an inner door, and announced that the secretary could see no one else that day, and added that he had gone home. Then he, the skipper, had gone down to the navy yard to inquire about the argent, and discovered that the prize had been signaled from Fortress Monroe, and was expected to be at Washington Navy Yard the next day. "'And you shall see as fine a sight as you could wish "'when I am confronted with that devil to-morrow. "'He expects by what we read "'to be treated as a prisoner of war "'and to be put on his parole and set free. "'He certainly doesn't expect to find me on hand "'to stop his little game "'and send him to prison to be tried for his life, "'and in the end hung for piracy,' "'added the old skipper. "'Oh, if we could only hear from Roland,' "'sighed little Rosemary. "'Be patient, dear. "'We shall hear to-morrow,' whispered Mrs. Force. "'Oh, to-morrow, and to-morrow, and to-morrow,' sighed Rosemary. "'We will go down and get some luncheon, and then go on to our new quarters. "'And to-night we shall sleep in motionless beds for the first time in two weeks, thank heaven!' exclaimed Wynnette. "'They went down to the dining saloon and lunched. "'Then Mr. Force settled the bill, and the whole party went out. "'The squire caught a hack on the fly, put his five ladies into it, and gave the driver the address. "'The hack drove off.' The three gentlemen walked all the way to the hotel. When they reached it and were gathered in the parlor, some little discussion took place as to the division of three rooms among eight persons, and it was concluded that the four girls should have one of the double-bedded rooms, 
the earl and the captain should have the other, and Mr. and Mrs. Force should have the small one. The party retired very early that night, and in spite of anticipations of the morning, they all slept profoundly. End of chapter 12